Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. by this is the conference operator welcome to the ecn capital first quarter 2021 results conference call as a reminder all participants are in listen only mode and the conference is being recorded after the presentation there will be an opportunity to ask questions to join the question queue you may press star then one on your telephone keypad should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. John Wimsat. Please go ahead, Mr. Wimsat. Thank you, operator. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for participating in our conference call to discuss ECN Capital's first quarter 2021 results announced earlier today. Joining us are Stephen Hudson, Chief Executive Officer, and Michael Lapore, Chief Financial Officer. A news release summarizing these results was issued this afternoon, and the financial statements and MD&A for the three-month period ended March 31, 2021, have been filed with CDAR. These documents are available on our website at www.ecncapitalcorp.com. Presentation slides to be referenced during the call are accessible in the webcast as well as in PDF format under the presentation section of the company's website. Before we begin, I want to remind our listeners that some of the information we are sharing with you today includes forward-looking statements. These statements are based on assumptions that are subject to significant risks and uncertainties. I will refer you to the cautionary statement section of the MD&A for a description of such risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. Although management believes that the expectations reflected in these statements are reasonable, we can obviously give no assurance that the expectations of any forward-looking statements will prove to be correct. You should note that the company's earnings release, financial statements, MD&A, and today's call includes references to a number of non-IFRS measures, which we believe help to present the company and its operations in ways that are useful to investors. A reconciliation of these non-IFRS measures to IFRS measures can be found in our MD&A. All figures are presented in U.S. dollars unless explicitly noted. With these introductory remarks complete, I'll now turn the call over to Stephen Hudson, Chief Executive Officer. <clears throat> Thank you, John. Good afternoon and welcome to our first quarter call. Turning to slide seven, we are pleased to report adjusted operating earnings per share of eight cents per share, which is the high end of our invest guidance provided at our investor day. Service finance had a strong first quarter, including big box retailer and all, all in one, which I'll discuss shortly. Approvals in the first quarter are up year-over-year year 45%, originations up 28%, and as you'll see shortly, that trend has continued into the second quarter. We've also launched our partnership with Sam's Club, and all one I'll be speaking to those in a moment. Fully funded in the 21 and 22, and we've begun discussions on our 2023 commitments. Triad as well had a strong first quarter and has accelerated approvals into March and April voting well for the second quarter for both businesses. Q1 approvals at Triad were up 15%, but accelerated in March and April. Q1 originations up 38%. And 
and in continued in April at 55%. Land home is on track. I'll speak to that in a moment. We are fully funded in the 21 and 22. We have five new funding partners who have joined year-to-date in 21. KG had strong partnership income, marketing services as it returns to growth in the first quarter. The first quarter results were in line with management expectations with an EBITDA margin of 60%. Strong pipe pipeline continues to drive return to growth in 21. Turning to slide eight on guidance, we are radiating our 2021 adjusted EPS guidance of 46 to 51 cents as announced at the investor day with a growth of approximately 50% year over year. And our first quarter results and early results in the second quarter give us increased confidence in our targets for 2021. We are reiterating our, reiterating our growth for 20, our EPS target for 2022 at 55 to 64 cents. We are, as stated in our investor day, we'll update this guidance on our Q2 call in August. At this point, we will have better visibility on the growth opportunities launched in 2021 like Sam's Club and others. Turning to slide 10, service, adjusted operating income in the quarter of 18 million, up 20% year over year. Originations up 28%, managed portfolio up 27. As I mentioned earlier, fully funded in 21 and 22, discussions underway on 23. Demand for service finance and triad loans has never been higher as a result of liquidity in the financial services system and the performance of our portfolios, which I'll speak to in a second. We continue to experience above average dealer growth in the quarter and year to date, including and they're driven by big box retailer all in one and effective take share and make share strategies. Turning to page 11, a slide you've seen before, uh, we like to put in the deck because it shows the consistent origination portfolio on a 12 month look back, as well as a servicing book. I think the key illustration here is very effective take share and make share on Mark. Sh- um, um, take share and make share out of Mark, Shirt, <coughs> Mark Birch's uh, operation. Turning to 12, a little bit on the home improvement industry. In March, the Home Improvement Research Institute made significant upward revisions to its projections from 21 to 24. Now expect incremental $254 billion of home improvement spending through 24, including $100 billion within the professional contractor segment, What we're beginning to see post-COVID or the end of the COVID pandemic, hopefully, is demand is increasing from homeowners focusing on larger projects that require professional contractors in the home. There was a reluctance by consumers to invite uh, contractors in the home. That that is now abating. Turning to page 13, I want to make two highlights from this page. I want to make reference to the growing month-over-month increases, which is our increased confidence in the high end of our range for service. And even with COVID adjustment numbers, the approvals are still strong in the high 30s to low 40% range. It's a strong across the board, whether it's HVAC, windows and doors, and others. As you know, we made a strategic call to exit, effectively exit solar. We still do some for our core customers, but that has now become a a, a significant, uh, it's far less of our business on a go forward basis. Turning to page 14, backlog is significant. March 21st, as at March 21st, the backlog is up 107% year over year across all product segments. This equates $275 million in originations that are expected to close 
that backlog stood at 311 million in April of 21. Turning to 15, we're happy to announce our big big box partnership with Sam's Club. That was announced in 21. The image on the right-hand side of the page comes off the link that's referenced on the left-hand side of the page. Service Finance has entered into an agreement with Sam's Club to administer a nationwide home improvement service program. There are two core and distinct parts of that program. Obviously, there's the loan services to service club, Sam's Club members by service finance author dealers, and as well, the marketing and sale and provision of home improvement products inside the home. Service Finance will leverage its existing dealer network to fulfill members' requests for a myriad of home improvements such as HVAC, roofing, doors, windows and doors accepted. You can expect a Sam's Club announcement in the near term. Turning to page 16, a new program this quarter saw several large home improvement dealer networks a continued take share on behalf of Mark and his team. I want to draw one, which is Dell Tiles. As you know, Dell Tiles <clears throat> is a subsidiary of Mohawk Industries, the world's largest flowing company, flooring company. It's interesting to note that one out of three tiles sold in America is a Dell Tile product. This exclusive partnership with Dell Tile even gives us further confidence in our <clears throat> in our 2021 projections and Mark and his team continue to, to hit it out of the park. As well as previously announced programs, the All-in-One is now launched. We're encouraged by the results. Early results of this will update you on the August call or our second quarter call. Commercial is launched, you expect, a, sorry, is it effectively launched and you expect an update as well on our second quarter call. All of this leads us to a strong sense of confidence in the 2021 originations at the high end of the range. Turning to slide 17, health for trading assets updates. <clears throat> at, as at the end of the quarter, we had 152 million of assets held for resale. We had an SFY sale <clears throat> just after the quarter in early April for $137 million. As you know, these are loans that qualify but are sold, sold in bulk to existing partners. We expect those bulk sales to move to flow arrangements shortly. This lumpiness of, of sales can create quarter-by-quarter quarter differences in our servicing revenue. You'll see servicing revenue this quarter was at 1.7%. It will return to over 2% in the second quarter as we earn management fees on these assets that were sold of $152 million. All in all, a great result. Turning to part, <clears throat> portfolios that we manage on behalf of our partners, we're happy to report 53 basis points and 30-plus delinquencies in March is the lowest since August 18, and it's at the low end of historical ranges. There are immaterial COVID deferrals remaining. 19 is a chart you've seen in the past, which continues to show our monthly originations on a year-over-year -year basis. Turning to the 2021 guidance, as I mentioned earlier, we are confident in our, in our forecast and are now <clears throat> referencing the high end of our range. Turning to to slide 21 on Triad. Triad's adjusted operating income for the quarter was 7.1 million, up almost 30% year over year. It's important to note that that operating income number includes $1 million of expenses for the land home build, which is now complete. The revenue from that build out will occur in the second, third, and fourth quarter. Q1 originations were up 37%. Floor plan was at 127 million 
and floor plan is on pace for 150 to 200 million originations in 21. Floor plan is a, is a strategic expansion of our product menu. As I mentioned earlier, five new bank and credit union partners added in the first quarter. Turning to page 22, I'd like to highlight two things for you. As with service, the continuing improvements month over month, notwithstanding some weather in February that hit Texas and related areas, which the second highlight is obviously the increased confidence in our forecast for triad as well. Turning to page 23, chattel loans, we have chattel and we have <clears throat> land home loans. Chattel loans were up 125% in the first quarter. Docs out is effectively the backlog where someone, as you know, has committed, has been adjudicated, and has signed the document we're waiting for delivery of the home to the site. These have a 99% historical close rate. The backlog is at six months or more. There are really three reasons for that backlog. Increased demand, reduced staff at manufacturers. Many U.S. firms are, are, are having to deal with U.S. government paying people to stay home, which is a short-term challenge, and extended supply chains that we're all facing. Turning to 24 on land home, we've had the substantial build-out costs, which come through in this quarter of approximately a million dollars with revenue in Q2, Q3, and Q4. <clears throat> we've, we've implemented Black Knight Mortgaging Service System, which is the gold standard in the U.S. industry for mortgages. We've also incorporated the origination, pricing, and adjudication systems of Freddie and Fannie. We are now approving mortgages land home at $45 million a month, up from $25 million in, in the fourth quarter of last year. We are highly confident in our forecast of 150 to 200 million. As I mentioned to you in an earlier call, we believe that land home can be as big as the chattel mortgage business in Triad. It bodes well for 2022. Uh, docs out are approximately 135 million as at the end of April, wooding delivery. We are on pace for our target of 150 to 200 million. Turning to 25, Assets held for trading, these are bank-eligible loans which are held and sold in periodic sales which are not on flow. This has been moderating down to $50 million. We expect further reductions to come in Q2 and Q3. Like service finance on page 26, the credit trends are very favorable. <clears throat> for triad, 30-plus day delinquencies have returned to a normal rate of 6%. Net charge-offs are at a cycle low of 20 basis points, and we there are no COVID deferrals remaining at Triad. Originations on 27 is the month-by-month, year-over-year chart that we provided for service. Turning to the guidance for Triad, originations are projected to grow up at 50% in the midpoint, floor plan at 120 to 140, and in midpoint. We feel, we feel highly confident about the forecast tending towards the upper end, as we do with service. Finally, turning to KG, adjusted operating income of $11.3 million, which is in line with management expectations and now reflects a return to growth. Partnership revenue is up 8, so almost 9% year-over-year, reflecting solid partnership relationships and increased fees from our credit card investment management business. As we referenced in the third quarter of last year, we've been able to close portfolio transactions without committing ECN capital. We are working on similar transactions we expect to be successful during 2021. Marketing services are continuing to rebound from COVID-related levels in 20. 
we expect this company, this business to hit its forecast. Turning to 30, growth and core business is important. We've also, as you know, have had a strategic shift moving KG away from transactional revenue into the annuity type business. That shift is continuing and success is bearing fruit. We've seen a 9% increase in partnership revenue as, as well as increased revenue and profit from the credit card investment management business. Client marketing spend continues to recover to post-COVID levels and new verticals are being averaged. I mentioned, as referenced here, the marketing service revenue is up from 2.9 to 1.8. It reflects that with continued growth. That business was 1.1 in the fourth quarter of 2020. We also continue to roll out new programs, which is banking as a service, which is a BAS. Through a, a client, we're providing a comprehensive solution for their credit card business. We've also, in our credit card investment management business, which is a officially launched our asset management and uh, asset management services. We have received a technical term PCIDSS, which means we are now certified to receive credit card information and manage it on behalf of our partners. Highlights on slide 31 for KG. You see revenue increases at 19% at the midpoint, EBITDA growth at 17% compared <clears throat> to that of 2020, and we see adjusted uh, operating income increasing at 21%. We are confident in this forecast as well. Michael. <clears throat> Thanks, Steve. T turning to page 33 and the Q1 consolidated operating results. Total originations for service finance and triad financial services of 662 million in Q1 2021, we're up 30% compared to Q1 to 2020, reflecting a 28% increase at service finance and a 37% increase at triad. That origination growth uh, drove Q1 adjusted net income applicable to common shareholders to 19.7 million or eight cents per share compared to 14.5 million or six cents per share in the prior year quarter. As discussed at Investor Day in our Q4 call, we have eliminated results from our discontinued operations. We, however, we continue to show legacy assets held for sale separately on our balance sheet. Turning to page 34 on the balance sheet, key highlights in the balance sheet are that total assets and total debt were both up over the previous quarter, with total assets up about 72 million and total debt up about, by approximately 45 million. The increase in total assets and total debt was primarily driven by the increase and held for trading assets at service finance and floor plan loans at Triad. Both total assets and debt decreased subsequent to quarter end as a result of the sale of approximately $137 million and held for trading assets at service finance. Managed and advisory assets are now approximately $33 billion, comprised of $3.4 billion in servicing assets at service finance, $2.7 billion in assets at Triad, and managed and advisory assets of $26.9 billion at KG. Turning to page 35 of the income statement, Q1 2021 adjusted EPS was $0.08 cents per share at the top end of our guidance range and in line with analyst consensus. Q1 2021 adjusted EBITDA was $35.5 million compared to $27.7 million in Q1 2020. The increase was driven by growth at all three of our business segments. In Q2, in Q1 2021, our effective income tax rate was 17%, which is in line with our guidance range for the year. Turning to page 36 and operating expenses, key, key highlights are higher business segment operating expenses were primarily driven by the growth in originations and managed assets at service finance and triad. 
as well as the build-out of Triad's land home business. Excluding the approximately $1 million in expenses related to land home, Triad operating expenses increased by less than the percentage increase in revenues, demonstrating the operating leverage from that platform. Corporate operating expenses of $6.2 million reflected return to normal activity levels for business development, professional services, and travel expenses. We continue to expect corporate expenses to be in the range of $22 to $23 million in 2021. Legacy business expenses were $1.9 million in Q1 2021, which were lar largely offset by legacy business revenues of $1.6 million. Finally, just a quick point on share-based compensation, which is not included in operating expenses but does receive some attention. You'll note our Q1 expense is lower than Q4, and as noted in the MDNA, about half of the expenses related to five-year retention agreements for our operating unit heads that vest over five years based on meeting of specified operating income targets, but get expensed on an accelerated basis due to the accounting rules. We expect share-based comp to continue to trend lower in Q2 through Q4. And with that, I'll pass it back to Steve. Thank you, Michael. In closing, uh, turning to slide uh, 38, we are pleased to report the eight cents of adjusted operating earnings per share for Q1, high end of our range, as stated in Investor Day, service finance originations of 28%, in 52% in April, give you a sense of how strong that business is and confident in guiding you to the high end. We believe the big box, the Sam's, Sam's Club partnership, and the all-in-one will help drive significant growth for all parties in the coming quarters. Triad's Q1 originations at plus 30% and 55% in April give us similar confidence in the, in the remaining in Q2 and the remaining part of 2021. Landhelm is going to is going to be very successful. 135 million in docks out. We are on track for 150 to 200 million of incremental program. As I mentioned, that business will be as large as as our chattel business, which should should approximate four to six hundred million dollars in 22. KG is in line. First quarter strong partnership. Uh, business continues and pipeline is strong. As I mentioned, we will update 22 guidance on our Q2 call as we get further evidence on our significant growth initiatives launched this year. Capital, we are happy to report our dividend, which increased. We announced the increase. We paid it out this quarter at three cents. And as you note in the MDNA, we've been active in repurchasing stock. Finally, I just thought I'd comment on the market today and interest rates. Some of you have asked, but if you look at service finance from 2016 to 2018, during that period, U.S. 10-year treasuries went from 1.4% to over 3%. Our originations grew at 50% per annum. The management team at service is very accomplished and is able to manage interest rate risk through increasing rates and menu. A similar experience to that of Triad. I think it's also important to point out that our funding costs are really that of bank deposits as opposed to treasuries. If you look to bank deposits, they are in essence flat to down over the last three months. There's a tremendous amount of liquidity in the U.S. and the Canadian, but the U.S. financial services system. So we are we are confident that we will be able to manage rising interest rates when it happens. John, over to you. Uh, thanks, Steve. 
Um, just just to update our uh, ESG slides. Not not a lot to uh, update here in the quarter, other than um, we expect to announce a number of different initiatives uh, in Q2. Uh, we have engaged with a number of different rating agencies to review our various lending programs for ESG certification. Uh, we expect to have um, some results from that that process uh, when we're ready to report in Q2 as well. Uh, just wanted to reiterate our commitment overall uh, to ESG. Uh, policy impact and disclosure. I uh, want to make sure we stay in front of our stakeholders. Uh, with that, we'll open it up for, for questions. Thanks, operator. Thank you. We will now take questions from the phone line. If you have a question, please press star, then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. There will be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. The first question comes from Nick Preeb with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Okay, uh, good evening. Um, I just wondering if I could ask you to expand a little bit on the nature of the arrangement with, uh, with Sam's Club now that it's public. Um, so how does that model work? So if I, if I understand it correctly, you know, a member would come in with a home improvement project, they would be connected with a dealer from your network, and then you would provide the financing where, where required. What, what does Sam's Club get out of it? Do they earn a referral fee from either you or the dealer? Just uh, some insight on the economics of the arrangement would be helpful there. Yeah, Nick, we, as you can appreciate it, it was, uh, we're happy to have been selected as Sam's Club's par partner. That's a, It's a significant Step for service finance and for ECM as service. We are we are prohibited under our confidentiality arrangements. Sam's Club will be speaking to those shortly. I would love to walk you through it, but we have to wait for Sam's Club. But I I'll, I can tell you this that the early results are encouraging, and uh, we we think it'll be very successful. But we have to wait for Sam's Club. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and then staying at service finance. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, it looks like there continues to be a little bit of variability on the servicing fee line. So I think last quarter it was a bit of a positive surprise. And then it stepped down sequentially despite, you know, higher managed asset balances. And we also saw the roll off of the temporary fee concessions that were granted last year. Can you just help us understand how that line travels, whether there's a seasonal element or anything else that would account for uh, some of the quarterly variability that we've seen? Hi, Nick. It's, uh, it's Michael. If there's a timing and a mix component that sometimes you get a little bit of variability in the quarter. So as Steve noted, I think in Q1, we had a you know, large percentage of uh, complementary flow loans on the balance sheet. Those didn't get sold to Q2. So Q2, you'll see it, you know, tech upwards. And overall, we expect it to come in around 2% for the year of managed assets. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. We, we don't get paid, Nick, on the loans that are accumulating mm -hmm. for our client. And given the growth in service, which has been very significant, continues to be, it's it's a market. But we know right now that we'll be about 2.1% for the second quarter in servicing fees. Got it. Understood. Um, okay, that's good for me. I'll requeue. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. The next question comes from Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Um, First question I has, I know you talked a little bit on the triad side, um, but my question, I guess, more broadly was, 
with some of the issues that we've seen with uh, stuff like uh, lumber prices or, or, or materials constraints and, and semiconductor chip and, and stuff like that. Um, are you seeing much of that and, and how would you kind of quantify the impact uh, on the business, um, whether or not it's at uh, service finance or triad? Um, hey, Jeff, how you doing? It's, uh, um, you know, like everybody else, we're seeing or, or hearing different sort of price increases across, you know, various different verticals, uh, both under sort of home improvement or in, in manufactured housing, more the inputs to manufactured housing uh, than sort of the end result or pricing uh, of homes, for example, at this point. Um, we haven't seen any impact whatsoever on uh, originations or, or income uh, to date, but, um, you know, I, I, I suspect we would uh, we'll, we'll continue to monitor it and see, and see over the next couple of quarters. If I, I just have one follow-up. If you look to the originations of 37% growth in Q1, we're able to get the loans out the door, whether it be chattel or now land homes. So it hasn't stopped us from loan. I would also comment that the average ticket size is up both in, in triad and service. There's no doubt that inflation has returned. Inflation drives higher ticket prices, which produ produces you know, higher fees on both originations and servicing. Okay. And just my second question, I just wanted to clarify, when you, when you gave your guidance before with respect to 2021 and 2022, um, the Sam's Club and, and all-in-one, like those programs would not have been included, and hence why um, with the right. Q2 update, you know, you'll have a bit more visibility and, and probably included in there. Is that yeah. the right way to think about it? Well, I, yeah, I mean, look, we, we, uh, when we did our investor day um, guidance, we knew that there was a number of significant programs in the pipeline, uh, whether it was the real land home launch and, and, and rollout at, at Triad or a number of the programs that you're aware of today and some of the other ones that we're working on. Uh, at service finance, and, and, and we knew a number of those things were going to get launched in the spring. As you know, uh, looking at these things, it takes time to roll these programs out nationally. It takes time to train uh, salespeople, et cetera, to really get selling these things and, and then ultimately grow those programs. So you got to get them launched and up and running, see how uh, they're operating for a couple of months before you can really get an idea and guidance. So um, our view was always, you know, let's get a couple of these things launched and then we can revisit it. Uh, as we have some better data, uh, we thought Q2 would be would be a good time for it. Yeah. To, to answer your question, they were not included. They were not included, Jeff. So let let me back up. The the importance of of a Sam's Club. Without, like, I have to stop. I have to wait for the Sam's Club announcement. But the importance of that is that we're now seeing the benefit of our dealer network. We can now provide a guarantee like we do to our bank partners where, where all those loans that are originated, the consumer is happy, it's on time, it's on budget, and it works. And we can now do that for Sam's Club members. That's a powerful guarantee. We've never been able to use that. We are now using it for Sam's. The policing and the oversight, you know, all the work we do on our dealer group, the annual reviews, the re receiving tax returns, making sure people are compliant making sure our complaint level is, our, our un, un, unresolved complaints at the CFPB are zero. Now we're going, now, we, now, we, now, now we got power through our network, and I think that will accrue to the, that, that will accrue to the benefit of Sam's Club members. Um, so think of that as, you know, an additional business service 
that are we now bringing to bringing to the marketplace? Okay, and sorry, just if I can maybe just maybe ask it different ways. So with Land Home, Sam's, All in One, what else would not be included in the current guidance that you have? Well, no, Land Land Home was included in the guidance. It was okay. A, so, so it's Sam's and All in One. Okay, was, is there anything else? No, it just it, it, I mean I think the overall thing is, is the market tends to be very strong. You're seeing all-time highs in originations and all-time highs in approvals and increasing ticket price. We don't think that's going to slow down. You see industry research groups increasing the forecast through 2024. It's very strong, and I think that you know I think you'll have positive a positive update in, in August. Okay, great, thank you. The next question comes from Vincent Kaintix with Stevens. Please go ahead. Hi. Good afternoon, and thanks for taking my questions. I have uh, another one about the, the, the Sam's Club and the All-in-One. Um, so exciting uh, additions. I was wondering, are they, uh, do Sam's Club and the, the All-in-One partner already have um, somebody else that they're working with? And if there's uh, maybe any volume you can share, or is this completely new and, uh, you know, where where if there's any way that you could frame the, the current size on the upside. I, 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 I can't, Vincent, but it's, a, it's an exclusive arrangement with Sam's Club that we won through a competitive process, and I'll, we'll wait for Sam's. In terms of all-in-one, all-in-one is just selling, referring through the lower credit deals <clears throat> through to people. We don't put those credits on our balance sheet, and they're getting sold through, and then John will provide an update on the all-in-one program in, the, in in August as well. But it's being, it's it's working. Yeah, it's 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 launched. It's up and running. It really got launched in April. We've added uh, hundreds of dealers uh, at this point, and um, you know we expect to continue to roll that out uh, nationwide throughout the balance of the year. Um, we're super excited about it. The early results have been fantastic, but it, it's still early, and we we want to make sure we. Uh, have have some uh, good information for you guys come Q2. You can imagine Sam's Club is uh, is guards their membership their members very very closely and the due diligence that Mark Birch and his team and Steve Miner and others went through for complaints compliance product was significant and over several several quarters and I think that vetting alone and being awarded this partnership this relationship reflects is, is a good housekeeping stamp of approval. On service finance and their dealer work, you know we're we're not Angie's List. We don't have 140,000 dealers, which is great for Angie's List. We have 14,000 dealers, which are heavily policed. So when if you, if we if we're lucky enough to become your partner, we know when that dealer walks into your home, you're going to have a great experience, and we're going to guarantee it. Okay, great. That's helpful. And I'll uh, I'll ask that again next quarter. Um, appreciate that. Switching, uh, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I appreciate it. Um, so uh, switching gears to uh, the Kessler uh, group. So interesting to see these new marketing programs that are outside kind of the seems like outside the existing scope of what we think about with credit cards. And, um, maybe if you could talk about what like give us an example or an idea of what kind of marketing programs and services these are. And when you think about the uh, the verticals that you could serve, um, you know, you've highlighted telecom, but sort of maybe what are the opportunity sets for uh, for KG there? Thank you. Yeah. So so Vincent, if you if you look at um, 
Kessler, their historical business has been really helping to build and, and, and attract customers to uh, affinity credit card uh, portfolios and relationships. That, that's what they've done that for 40 plus years. As part of that, you had to build sort of core competencies, et cetera, in terms of marketing, consumer marketing, um, through various different channels, um, a lot of targeting, segmenting, uh, data, et cetera. What, what we always thought they had was they had some, some exceptional process and, and, and data, et cetera, that you could mine and, and, and use to uh, generate new, new relationships on the marketing side. Uh, we've been able to do that successfully across across credit cards and financial services over time. Uh, we talked to you about the telecom opportunity uh, last quarter. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, you can imagine a large uh, consumer cellular type company who's doing typical uh, consumer type marketing, trying to generate new customer accounts. That that's the kind of thing that that we're working on. Uh, if you can imagine other uh, consumer facing uh, marketing opportunities out there, uh, like a wealth management. Uh, identity theft, um, subscription services. There's a number of different verticals that we're looking at uh, and exploring, and we expect to have a number of different pilots in the market here uh, in 2021. Okay, great. That's uh, very helpful. Thanks so much. The next question comes from Tom McKinnon with BMO Capital. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. Good afternoon. Uh, just a, a couple questions with respect to the uh, to the corporate segment. A little bit of noise in there. There seems to be some higher than expected corporate revenue. Uh, I don't know if there's gains or losses on some legacy sales. Uh, there was a modest loss in legacy. Just looking for some guidance as to how to be looking at that going forward. And uh, the corporate expenses of six point two million. I mean, if we if we annualize those, you know, we're we're closer to 25 million, which is above your 22 to 23 million guide for the year. So, is there anything uh, um, seasonal, or um, how should we be thinking about that? So, there's three questions in that. If you wouldn't mind tackling them, thanks. Hi, Thomas. Michael. So, I'll, st I'll start with the last one. Um, I mean, obviously, quarter to quarter, you're going to have a little bit of variation. In, in, the, in the expenses, we still think 22 to 23, that's where we're going to come in. So it's a bit higher in Q1. Best suspect it'll come back down in Q2, Q3. So it, it'll, but it'll vary plus or minus 500k a quarter. Um, in terms of the corporate revenues, yeah, we ha we did have some mark-to-market games on some uh, legacy portfolio investments. So probably um, a little bit higher than 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 normal. Generally expect you know 500k to um, revenue for corporate somewhere in that that range. And we had, we had a bit of uh, there's, there's always going to be some uh, like minor FX gains and losses as well. So we had some of that in this quarter. But uh, generally it's it's we expect it to be uh, 500k positive a, a quarter. And sorry, what was the third question? Yeah, the, the legacy business. There was a modest loss there. How, how should we be thinking about yeah, uh, yeah that uh, going forward? Yeah, that, I mean, we one of the reasons why we were accelerating the wind down was to do exactly that. Was to reduce the recall in Q, Q1 last year was probably closer to three million in the loss. So we've worked hard to reduce the the burn rate on the legacy business. Uh, we now got it down to three hundred thousand, where it's largely a material, which is 
but we're not even segregating it uh, anymore. Um, so we we expect to manage it uh, um, accordingly. But it's you know un definitely under a million a quarter. Yeah, I, I think Tom is good stewards. It's incumbent upon us to recover all the capital legacy assets, and recovery of capital can can include outside advisors, lawyers, and other people, so it's it's. I, I wouldn't focus too much on the three hundred thousand yeah. dollars of, of net net expense here. I would focus on the recovery of capital. And Al, just as our chief credit officer, had some great success, in, particularly in the aviation book and others on making sales as we now get out of the COVID period. So we want to get, we want all all that hundred million of assets sold and as much capital as recovered. Okay, and uh, sorry, just one more numbers question. Just the. Uh, um, in service finance, there was a, the depreciation expense was about a million, and it's generally been closer to about a third of that. Was there anything unusual in the quarter there? And yeah, so well, in conjunction with uh, Sam's, we launched uh, a marketing service and lead, ma lead management platform that uh, we had built out over 2019 and 2020. So that now that is. Uh, uh, up and running, we, we've started to uh, depreciate that asset. So uh, Q, Q2 would be similar to Q1 with respect to that? Correct. Okay, thanks for, the, thanks for that. The next question comes from Kihan Tunke with Stafel. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Um, just wondering, uh, Steve and team, if you can give an update on your funding pipeline and how it looks for 2022. I know you've got, you added a couple of new partners. I think it was five for Triad. Um, just wondering um, what the appetite is. Are you looking at new partners, perhaps um, extending funding with existing partners? Um, if you could give us a little bit more color on the appetite uh, from funding partners. Please. Good, good question, and thank you. For, um, if, if you if you look to, as you know, we announced the tr um, a new funding partnership with CBPIB last year at a billion dollars, and that really has opened the door to a number of similar type organizations, which is you know all have appetite in that billion dollar plus range. Um, we are we we don't have uh, enough loans at either service or triad to satisfy the demand. So we could have done we could have done two things. We could have we, one of two things. We could have increased origination and, and servicing fees. We elected not to, and we've gone for longer commitments. As you heard my reference earlier, we're now into 2023 funding discussions. So we, you know, make a long story short, we've taken that demand, which is unprecedented, um, and increasing commitments in the two to three year period, and we're working through that. So I think that's a good, you know. My fishing boat is called liquidity. Um, <laughs> it's a modest fishing boat, it, and it's um, it, it's all about liquidity. So I think the longer the longer we can longer we can the longer we can push out those funding commitments, the better. And we certainly have got you know you'll you'll hear more announcements about organizations similar in, in nature to that of CBPIB. Um, not saying that we're moving away from our bank, our credit unions, and our life co partners because they're an important part of this, but we are funding significant growth at, at both uh, service and triad. I, I just, I, how are you? I just wanted to add, um, you know, if you look at triad, you mentioned the five that we, we added this year. Remember, we added 12 last year. 
as as well. And it has been we have been expanding that list away from uh, just the banks and credit union to our core uh, great partners to ours. But we've added uh, some life insurance companies as well in, inside a inside a triad. Uh, especially around some of these special and, uh, and newer programs. So we've been very, very excited, not only on the service finance side, but also on the triad side as far as our funding relationships go. And we've been able to turn all these relationships into hell or high water, which is that you as an institution, when you provide that commitment, are now required to buy up to that limit. We're not required to sell to you. what it, We will, but we want the ability to manage it. So if you're putting our commitment up, your fill is likely $800 million to $900 million. As we, as we sort of manage across our round-robin funding. So it's in, in, in fact, at Triad's situ, uh, situation, they've turned them into perpetual funding relationships. So we've used this, you know, there, there is about $4.1 trillion in the U.S. and in, in the U.S. banking system looking for a home. And we've used that liquidity to, to expand the term of these funding commitments. Excuse me, appreciate the color there. Thank you. Um, just with respect to the Sam's Club agreement and without getting into any nitty gritty details, but you know, assuming that it goes successful, you've got a really you build a really good retailer partnership program. Is there anything, if you can speak to it or not, I don't know, but is there anything with the current agreement with Sam's and uh, Sam's Club that would prevent you from offering additional or reaching additional partnerships with other retailers in the U.S.? Um, it's, it's, you know, what, what is, what's on the page that we presented is what Sam's and Walmart's accounts, as you know, Walmart is, is Sam's is a subsidiary of Walmart. That's what's been approved for disclosure. So we have to live with, with what you've got. I think there will be further announcements here by Sam's in the short term. Um, we're not, we're not going to finance a competitor to Sam's you know, we have a Lennox, we have a Lennox relationship. We're not going to finance someone who competes with Lennox. There are other forms of distribution that we're looking at that don't compete with Sam's. I'll leave that to the latter part of August, but there are other forms of distribution out there. You know, I, I don't I can't I can't emphasize enough that Mark Birch and his team have done a phenomenal job of, of creating this exclusive network of dealers who can enter your home. And that, that will allow a number of participants in the U.S. to now go past the door still of a home. As opposed to dropping a box off on your doorstep, they'll now be able to go in the home. And I have to leave it there until we report we discuss in August. And, Chan, just, just, to, just to highlight the, uh, the other one we talked about, the Del Tile relationship. I mean, that, that's a subsidiary of Mohawk, which is the largest flooring company uh, in, the, in the country. They do one in three of all tiles sold in the United States. That's gonna be a great uh, relationship uh, for, Mark, for Mark and his team. And, and frankly, there's um, a whole number of other relationships that, that we ended up, that we did sign in the quarter uh, with dealer networks, you know, et cetera. And we're looking at other manufacturer relationships as well. So um, Sam's is obviously a huge deal for us. We're very, very excited about it, but just don't wanna uh, forget about all the other things that Mark and his team are getting done. Great, I'll pass it on from here. Thanks very much. Thank you. Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. Our next question comes from Jamie Gloin with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, I actually want to hear more about this uh, modest boat named Liquidity. <laughs> uh, oh, you're going to get wet. I get wet. I said, I said, I said a fishing boat. <laughs> Uh, okay, so first first question, uh, John. I uh, I got kicked out for a second, so maybe maybe I missed it. But on the uh, on the Dow tile, uh, is there anything you can tell us about what your expectations are in terms of uh, you know dealer growth, penetration, and the size of that uh, of that relationship? Maybe like maybe compare it to like how Lennox has uh, has performed over the last several years. Is that something that we can think about? No, I mean I mean look, we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, it's a great relationship. Obviously, they. Sell a tremendous amount of tile to contractors uh, all over all over the country. Um, we will be exclusive uh, with Dell and uh, with Dell Tile, and um, you know, obviously, very much value our, our our relationship with Mohawk, and and hope we can continue to expand that. Um, we'll uh, we'll come back to you with more details around size of the program, etc. Over time, I suspect it'll take take a bit of time to ramp, just like we've seen with other programs that we've launched, like uh, a Beacon or, or a Owens Corning. But there, there's no reason why um, a very large flooring brand like Del Tile can't be a very significant originations uh, contributor uh, over time. Okay. Um, more on that later, I guess. Uh, and then the second question for me, uh, just in the... Uh, the service finance, you guys already talked about it on the uh, on the servicing yield, and uh, I get that the bulk of it is probably coming or is coming from uh, you know the fact that you're just holding higher held for trading assets, um, but that that doesn't explain everything, at least like from what I can tell based on uh, kind of running through some of the numbers here. Um, so, is there anything else that would cause variability from quarter to quarter outside of just that uh, higher held for trading? Uh, assets. Yeah, um, that that's the uh, that is the biggest uh, reason for the uh, the variability. So it's the the timing of the sales uh, and how much you're build, building up without putting on your balance sheet without selling. If you have a, a you know four or five months of originations going through in a single period, it's going to skew the uh, servicing margins. It also okay, depends somewhat on. It also depends somewhat on your mix uh, in any given quarter. Remember, we've got something like fifty or I think it's like up to sixty-five different products at this point. Those those products do have different uh, pricing and whatnot to them. It typically blends to about three percent gain on sale and a two percent uh, servicing. But but if you know you, you mix is a little bit different from one quarter to the next, it could skew. You know, 10, 20 basis points one way or the other on a given quarter. If you combine that with, um, you know, asset sales like like Michael's been talking about, that that's the bulk of of the change. It's really just a timing and a mix issue. Um, like like we said before, we expect that for the full year you'll be back. To, it'll be about a two percent uh, number on your sort of average servicing assets, and we would actually expect it to be above that in the second quarter. Uh, as you get back sort of what you lost for some of the sales that then occurred in, in, in Q2. So, yeah, I mean, there's some variability about it. If you go back and look at it over the last couple of years quarterly, you've seen it up and down, you know, 20, 30, 40 basis points over a couple of quarters, uh, multiple times, even if you are not even looking at last year where you had some concessions. I think, Jimmy, what, what I asked for, which John can walk you through, is a quarter-by-quarter 
forecast of, of the servicing revenue so you'll be able to track it better. So why don't we follow up with that post the call? Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, it sounds like mix is the, is the second component there. And then, uh, you know, last one still on that mix, is there, um, you know, what can you tell us about the underlying loan demand from consumers? You know, is there a particular loan that they're, that they're uh, looking to uh, select at this stage? And, and how do you see that uh, uh, affecting origination fee income? Is it positive or, or negative in terms of the types of loans? Yeah, origination fee income is at an all-time high. So, so we can walk you through that. I think the one thing that's temporary in nature here, Jimmy, is that we've seen, as every other participant in U.S. financial services has seen, we've seen a um, prepayment speeds that have been increased, and that's temporary. That's driven by all the incentive checks and my reference to the $4.1 trillion that needs to get digested here. So the, the prepayment speeds have, 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 um, have increased by everyone. We believe that's temporary in nature as the incentive checks are... Uh, are spent. Yeah, if you just to, just to follow up on follow up on Steve said, I mean, just recall, I mean, so again, it's a mix issue. In the first quarter, we had uh, a gain on sale margin, uh, which was at the highest we've had in the last at least eight quarters, uh, going back. And again, that, that's just a product of of the mix of different products that are that are rolling through. As you can imagine, we're somewhat indifferent product by product what the mix looks like, whether it's uh, coming from a servicing fee or coming from a a, a gain on sale, we're we're more interested in the net present value of of the of the economics to to service finance. Going back to your earlier question, Jamie, if you look to the servicing revenue, it was a function of that large SFY loan in April, and also we've had promotional loans do this prepayment issue that pay back quicker, so we don't get all the servicing income. That is starting to slow down, but that's not unique to us. That's to you're seeing prepayment speeds increase at mortgage books, consumer lending books, pick any one of them, but it is starting to abate. Got it. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Mario Mendonca with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good evening. Uh, Steve, we could just go to a conceptual issue here. I'm uh, looking at service finance over the last four quarters. Uh, the revenue growth has lagged expense growth, and I suspect that relates to all the initiatives that are in place. The uh, the one, um, certainly Sam's Club, there have been a, lot, a bunch of expenses that have gone on, I would imagine, that haven't yet resulted in the revenue. Uh, assuming I've got that concept about right, uh, this clearly has to turn one day and the operating leverage has to kick in. What I'd be interested in hearing from you is when that might be. Could it happen as soon as next quarter, or is this something we probably should wait until 2022 to see the revenue growth really outpace the expense growth in service finance? Yeah, I, it's a good, it's a very good question, Mario. I, I think we're going to start to see some of it in the second quarter, Q3 and Q4. You'll see significant operating leverage. You know, Michael made a reference to the lead management business that we created over the last two years has now come through the lead management business being able to provide leads in the uh, in the sam's relationship was critical to winning that contract uh, we're now paying for that and um, i know you didn't ask about triad but it's the same thing a triad where we spent a million dollars this quarter on on uh, launching land homes so i think in both these companies we'll see significant improvement in in the efficiency ratio 
And that could be as early yeah, as the second half of 21. Is that fair? Correct. Okay, and then, for, uh, for, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say just for 2020, obviously, we had the uh, fee concession, so that impacted the, no doubt. you know, the margin ratio. So the fee concessions, investment spending, all of that drove the negative operating leverage. And, and that's essentially where I'm going. I would imagine we're going to see that turn at some point when it does, it's going to be, it might be meaningful. Uh, I want to right. turn to a, dif a different type of question, and forgive me for being sort of detailed in, in its nature. Uh, I, I think everybody's asked about gain on sale margins and service margins, and the one that I haven't been able to really reconcile yet in my mind is the gain on sale to originations in triad. It declined a fair bit this quarter on a sequential basis. It's really not that big a deal relative to other quarters that I see. But is that really a result of the home and the home and land product or land and home product, or is that not really having an effect yet? We'll see the gain on sale margin deteriorate later. Um, hey, hey, Mario. So it has some effect. I mean, we, we are closing some originations in in, in land home. It's it, it's a um, it's a uh, r relatively uh, small number. But what you've seen over time is uh, the mix has changed somewhat from uh, core uh, to managed only. Managed only has a has a bit of a lower lower margin uh, than than core does. If you look over a long period of time, it's about a seven percent average. And if you actually take that quarterly, it jumps between say I don't know six and a half and seven and a half fifty basis points either way. And I think in this quarter it was around six eight, uh, six seven six eight, and so. You know, to me, it's it's pretty normal. You can see that 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 kind of fluctuation depending on mix in any given quarter, but it has tended to about seven percent uh, most annual. You know, for for a full year uh, over the last several years. I, I think, John, am I right in saying that you guided us to a lower number over time as land and home increases? Yeah, I mean, we should we should see at look. Um, I think we believe that the land home business is going to be as big as the chattel business. When that happens, Mario, remember, land home is a lot closer to a mortgage, so therefore the pricing on it is closer to a mortgage. We get, um, in our chattel business, what you've seen is over a long period of time, the pricing on that is you know, roughly 300 basis points of over uh, equivalent 30-year treasuries, I'm sorry, 30-year mortgages, um, which um, you know, is, is pretty consistent over time. We can generate a lot of fees off that, the uh, mortgage product is going to have a lower spread to, to those 30-year mortgages as it's a full land home, which means there's, there's a little bit less gain on sale that can be built into that. Again, it's all incremental. Very little expenses are associated, incremental expenses are associated with this business beyond the build-out because we're running through the same distribution network that we do uh, on the chattel side. So, yes, you're going to see lower um, margin uh, gain on sales, but a lot more dollars running through that business. Okay, thank you. There are no further questions at this time. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
watching and have a great day.